Welcome to the JDLSAT and Admissions Podcast. I'm your host and instructor, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. In each episode, we discuss key habits you can master to study smarter and save time to raise your LSAT score and your chance of law school admissions. Everyone out there, thank you for tuning in. Uh, got a very special episode today with uh, Graham Blake, the Graham Blake of LSAT Hacks. He was uh, kind enough to give us his time, and so we're going to sit down and ask him some questions. Thank you for joining me, Graham. Uh, thank you, Jimmy. Glad to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I think a lot of people are familiar with LSAT Hacks. For those who aren't, you need to be. There's an explanation for just about every... Um, Every question that's out there, I'm probably not even doing it justice, but screw it. Let me turn it over to you. Tell us about LSAT Hacks, what it is in your own words, and, and, and tell us about the origins. Yeah, so I've been tutoring students for almost 15 years now, and you know, I saw the LSAT seem like this very complicated thing, but I was reading it, and I saw that like, what they're really doing is they've got something that's kind of, they take like a simple idea and they'll make it very complex. <laughs> and I want to show people <laughs> that there actually was like something simple, something understandable underneath that and to try and explain it in that way. So I ended up making these explanations for thousands of LSAT questions, which you can find on LSAT hacks and then ultimately made a course and then also uh, some advanced courses for people who like kind of already knew the basics and to show them like the habits of someone scoring 170 plus. And that's uh, that's pretty interesting site over over the years. It it grew from the original explanations that everything's now in a subscription, but there's still several thousand explanations free. And I still tutor people, and I just really enjoy the LSAT and want to help show people how to do better on it and how to understand it. Awesome, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, anyone out there, if you have an experience, and I mean, if you ever, if, if you're just studying and you need a if whatever your resources just aren't working for you and you need a quick explanation to understand why a certain answer is what it is, um, that's what I immediately do. I go to LSAT hacks and um, just about every, well, there's just so many questions that, that, that you give explanations for and they're excellent. The quality, you know, it's not just quantity, it's also quality. Um, so it's a trusted source that I always tell people to go to. Um, but I'm sorry. Uh, other points you wanted to make about about how to use it and how to how to take advantage of it because it is a tremendous resource. Yeah, so I would say the the biggest thing you can do with it is use it to well actually first so you're going to get the full experience in LSAT Hacks Pro, which is a subscription mm -hmm. that I've got. But if you want to try it out, you can uh, you can go to the free explanation. You can take a prep test and then just go look up the prep test there and review the answers. And I try and write it so that like, no matter which answer you're looking at, I'll give like something definitive that shows why it doesn't work or why it is the right answer. Um, could you tell us uh, how to get the most out of LSAT hacks? What are the best ways to use it? And, you know, I, I, I want to do justice uh, to uh, the pro version. It, it's, an, it's a tremendous value. So I was wondering if you could tell us about both and how to get the most out of both. Yeah, sure. So the, the pro subscription is like the complete version of LSAT hacks, but for anyone who just wants to like check it out and get started, you can sign up for the free email course um, and you can check out the free explanations. 
And basically you can like take a prep test and review your answers there. And for every prep test that I've got covered, I review every question and every answer choice to kind of try and show why an answer, like if you were considering that answer, do it justice and then what's a clear reason why this answer is wrong and what's a clear reason why the right answer is right and put everything in like common sense, plain English, really show you how things are work and give little asides that help you do other questions like that in the future. And if you try those exclamations and you find it to your liking, then I'd recommend upgrading to the full thing where you can get a course suited to your level, either the LSAT course if you're just starting out, or if you're above 160 or know the ropes, the LSAT Mastery Seminars, both of which are in the LSAT Acts Pro subscription. And try that to really get like the full strategies to like the how-to, not just the bit by bit, but like just the overall vision. And then keep using the exclamations to review. And you're going to have access to a fuller set of them, about 6,300 in total. So like most tests, including almost all the recent tests, you'll be covered. And you can just have that as like your outside companion as you go. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. I'll definitely put links to both in the show notes, of course. Um, I want to couple things let's actually back up if it's okay with you i'd love to hear a little bit more about your background so you if i remember correctly you scored a, a 177 um yeah that's right and so tell tell if you don't mind because I, I think students do care about this you know tell us a little bit about what the study process was like for you what a day was like in studying um how long did it take um anything you think is important for a student to know about that Sure. And I'm going to split this into two parts because like, <laughs> unlike some other people taking the LSAT, I sort of had like a before I got my 177 study period and an after 177. And I'll explain. Uh, I took the LSAT just sort of on a whim. Like I wasn't sure what to do at the end of school, but I gave it a real shot. And I studied uh, two, three months pretty intensively, like amidst final exams and, uh, you know, probably like a few hours a day at the start. And then it was most of my day where I wasn't working. I was just staying at home with my parents and uh, in the summer and really giving it full-time work. But the thing was, this was like 15 years ago, right? And there aren't, there weren't the resources back then that there are now. And I just mm. went to the local bookstore and grabbed like an LSAT book, which at the time didn't even have real LSAT questions. This was like a thing before everyone like yelled at the, the, the big name companies to like the Kaplan Prince Review to put them in. And so I don't even know if I, I, I must've got some practice material from LSAC, but you know, I, I was already scoring pretty high from my background. Like I was sort of, I probably started in like the high 160s. So like, I don't know, you know, like good at math, had read a whole lot and had the kind of nerdy logical brain that like, that like took <laughs> to it, but I didn't know any of the stuff, like the conditional reasoning and so on. So in some ways it's like not that instructive a study period. Um, I studied, I got to like the low 170s. My logic games were worse. I went back to the bookstore, bought a logic games book and just like went through that a whole lot. And then I got the 177 on test day. So like that must, logic games have been my worst section. Mm. Um, so that must've helped. So, but like that, you know, th that's not that useful for a student listening. Like, well, how do I do that? You're like, well, I didn't start in like 166. Like th that, that doesn't help. But the second part is actually where like I learned all the concepts. Uh, I, I worked for an LSAT company did their training and you know I was like I was lost I was like following like what is this like conditional sufficient whatever <laughs> like <laughs> and they didn't write anything down so like I I just I had no idea what all these things were I was totally bamboozled um and was fairly new to teaching too but I ended up teaching students and the thing that and, but I was in Canada right so I couldn't actually go teach their classes in the states 
So the bulk of my work was working on this phone helpline hmm. where people would call me and they would say, hey, I got a question about this question. And I would have <laughs> to like go look up the question, think about it, figure out what the student was asking about, which is often something I hadn't considered about the question and give them an answer. And as I kept tutoring, I was starting to see the same questions over and over again. And I got a lot, it may sound funny to say that I got a lot better at the LSAT after getting a 177, but I did. And what I mean is like, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like I was, you know, I could do it with like very stressful, but I couldn't explain it to anybody. Whereas now I can like, I know methods, I can go faster, more calmly. I can finish the section sooner. I can explain stuff. And what that came from was both studying the basics through working with the company and seeing the material over and over and over, like the same questions. And this is what I tell students to do now is that like, you need to not just be seeing a large quantity of material, but you need to be coming back to it, to be thinking mm. like anything you don't understand in there, like, why is it this way? What is this? Because some you can get a question right while only understanding like 65% of it. You can get a question wrong while understanding 45% of it. The, the gulf isn't that wide. And you try and figure out all those gaps, even when you get the question right. And that's what I was forced to do because people were, you know, coming to me and <clears throat> paying me a tutoring fee and expecting an answer. And I, I had to come up with an answer for them. And so um, you can do this with a study partner by writing an explanation by like just thinking it out yourself, but like trying to get to the bottom of it was really the way that I actually like got LSAT skills versus just using like my background reading and math skills to get a good score versus actually knowing like the what's the word like the the hidden layers of the test nice yeah i, I, I want to go back to a few things you said you made some awesome points yeah. uh one just to clarify for me did you begin teaching after the 177 or pre-177 no after after okay and, and that makes even more sense to me now right because uh it's like when you first said hey, I think I got even better on the LSAT after my 177. I think a lot of people, myself included, will do a double take because we're like, wait, you got a 177 yeah. and now you're telling me you learned it better? But it makes total yeah. sense when you're explaining it in this context because I always say to people, if you really want to learn something, teach it. And the reason is because it forces you to internalize that stuff. You said it exactly right. And, um, right, like someone's paying you to explain it and you know it. But you're like, you are forced to really crystallize those concepts and see it in a way that maybe you didn't see it before. So, and, and I'm glad you, you you beat me to the punch. I was going to say, how can students take advantage of this? You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, tutoring someone, having a study partner, because if you're forced to explain it to them, all of a sudden now you know it a lot better. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think that's super important. Another point that you made, which was, you were getting at the idea to me of like quality over quantity. And what I mean by that is, right, it's not so much about, sure, there's benefits to doing a bunch of LSAT questions, but revisiting questions, um, there's a real benefit to that too, because it allows you to see things again. One of the common things that I hear about is, oh, shoot, I burned through so many practice tests and now I don't have anything to study on. And my response to them, and I'm, I'd be interested to hear about yours. Well, screw it. What's your response to them? Who cares what mine is? <laughs> I think my first, I, I may not say it necessarily, but my internal response and what I, I'm pretty blind, I probably would say it was like, like, what were you? <laughs> like, well, no, I wouldn't say what were you doing? That's my internal response. But like, I, I know, I know why people do that. That it's just like, um, but I tell them, 
first like let's do an audit to see like when what which ones are untouched because there's usually like a handful that mm -hmm. they didn't see and like what are the furthest back ones to try and get some kind of accurate score but the second thing i tell them is is the reason for that is like okay it's actually not as bad as it seems because the only thing a fresh prep test does well not the only thing but the biggest thing it does is it shows you where you're at but you can still build the skills from the test you already done so like it feels like a giant problem where it's just only like a moderate problem you can still get better um but the the second thing i'll say is yeah it probably means like you need to work on your review process and like <clears throat> flag more stuff spend more time on it and really get to the bottom of it because if you go through that much without like they say practice makes perfect but i've heard it said that it actually is like more like practice makes permanent <laughs> that if you're not actively focusing on uh how to improve you're just going to stay at the same level like yeah. I like cooking as an example. I'm not really improving my cooking skills. I have pretty good cooking skills for the kind of stuff that I cook, but I've leveled off because I'm just doing the same things and I'm not really like, it's not the active focus in my life. Um, and that's sort of where you're at. If you're just doing all the LSI prep tests and your score is kind of similar and you're not actually like doing the full review process. That's a great point. Um, and <laughs> It's funny because I'll, I'll yeah actually the the title of my podcast used to be LSAT habits I ended up just changing it to JD LSAT oh, admissions <laughs> but because I'm a big believer in habits and I think it's a big part of this but the other thing oh, I tell sorry, people I you said LSAT hacks rather than LSAT oh hacks. oh no 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 <laughs> no I would never uh, bite off your style there LSAT habits LSAT habits uh, although maybe people confused it but the, the idea was hey if you can habitualize a lot of these things so you're not just flying blind every time and cool but the other thing i would tell people about developing habits is you still always want to actively get better at them right cool i'll i'll stay about the same but i also need to question them and be open to them and how can i improve them you know kind of what you're getting at uh, i just it couldn't help but think of that when you brought that up but i want to go back to i guess where i originally meant to go with this question which was you know for whatever reason if someone had burned through a bunch of practice tests my response is often to them, okay, but did you get a 180? Uh, that's just an obvious question, right? But it's not about like, you can get a 180 and still get one wrong, or maybe you just got lucky. But my, my, the point I'm trying to make is there's still more to learn. Even if you got, in theory, a 180 on a practice test, there's still more to learn. You know, if I got a question right, I can look at it again and see different layers I didn't see before. And it's kind of goofy, but I give an example of like, it's like watching a TV show over and over again. I have a guilty pleasure, like a lot of people, of re-watching episodes of The Office. But I'll, for better or worse, but I see them over and over again. I'm like, I'll notice things I didn't notice before. And um, I just, where I'm going with this is just going back to your point about it. Like, instead of doing a ton of questions, sometimes there's power in revising, looking at a question again. And if you're forced to, because you take a practice test again, looking at those questions again but you will see things you didn't see before. Even if you got it right the first time, you might notice some dynamics that are there, like you said, right? They, it's, it can be quite simple, but they're overcomplicating it. But you'll discover new things by revisiting a question or an idea again. My way off, or does that, do you agree with that? No, 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 that, that's like a central part of how I think people get better at the LSAT, is like finding new things in old material and always looking for something. I'm still looking for new stuff and spotting new stuff and questions that I've seen before. Like, and you know, I don't, I don't really need to get better at the LSAT, but like, it's just, it's part of how I approach it. I'm always trying to seek what's like a little thing to, to boost my skills, to make this slightly faster, to improve my understanding. What's a layer I didn't notice. And I think that's, that's what people should really be trying to focus on. It's like a curiosity about the test. 
Nice. And yeah. Focus on that rather than the score. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Yeah. Um, I won't, you, you've raised a really important point. When I work with my students, I always uh, have them journal their takeaways, you know, and I'll say, look, we, you know, this is what you got in your practice. That's fine. Right. We can't go back and change that. But what's going to change future, what's going to change future results on practice tests is you focusing on the process, thinking about what you did, how you approached it, thinking about what you could do differently, different angles you could see it from that might be better. Right. But it's that focus on the process that in turn will change your score. But if you just focus on that number, it's, you know, it, it, they're purposeless in a sense, despite that, the, uh, the irony of it being your goal to change that number. Yeah. Cause a good process leads to change. Uh, focusing on change doesn't, it means your focus is not on the process. Exactly. Exactly. Well, if you don't mind, I want to also ask you, um, on this note, right, like, you know, just in your, in your time of teaching, what would you say, two things, um, what would you say are some common mistakes you see students make? And what do you think, um, are there, what are, what are some common areas students could focus on more to be more effective? Yeah, so for common mistakes, I'm going to list like the big ones. So anyone sure. who is like, you know, good, good practices, you may there might be something else to look for, but like, you'd be surprised how common students are. One is just like not doing a timed test at all for a while. Mm. Like a lot of people start out and they're like just worried to time themselves because they don't want to do it until they studied. Um, but the purpose of a time test is like one, let you know your starting points. So it's like, it's like a before or after photo of something, you know, you can actually see how far you've gone. Um, and second, you get full exposure to what the material is actually like. So when you're actually studying, you have some idea of the thing um, that even if you never do a time test after that for like a month, you at least know what it was like and you can integrate that. That's a great point. Um, um, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Go ahead. A second, yeah, a second one. Feel free to jump in if you want to comment on any of these. Actually, but, look, um, we, yeah. one, if I make, let's stay on that. Is it okay if we stay on that one for a moment? Because uh, yeah, I, yeah, I totally, see totally. the same thing and I'm so happy you said that. Um, I get it too, right? People are like, I, I don't want to speak for, for everyone. I'll speak from my experience when I've seen a lot of students, you know, in the, in the back of their mind, it's like, well, if I take that and I get a score, I don't like, well, they don't want to think that that's baked in, but part of them's like, oh my gosh, if I get a score, I don't like, then it's going to sort of, I don't want to say fully cemented in, but now I'm going to be stuck there at least for a little bit. And then I got to work there and it'll define me and it'll, you know, at least even temporarily define me. They don't want to see that number. And I think this kind of goes back to the point you were making before that I always emphasize, which is it's not about that number. It's about what you learn from that process, but you can't learn from it if you don't take it. Um, but I, I, I've noticed, and, and I mean this lovingly with my students, like they'll be, especially if someone is new to this or maybe they've had a hiatus, they'll all of a sudden have a bunch of excuses why they're not taking it. And, um, you know, I'll say to them, look, it's okay. Rip off the Band-Aid. That's how we learn. In fact, if you want to just write down your takeaways and not even score it, that's cool with me. But I see a lot of students hold off on it. And I, I'm not interested. I want them to take it for the same reasons I'm thinking as you, Graham. Like, I'm not so interested in uh, what that score is as much as I'm interested in what did we learn from it. And I guess the, the last thing I'll say about this is uh, I couldn't, it's kind of like when you were saying before, what you were talking about before about the process of it, I couldn't help but think of a growth mindset, which I really impart to my students. In fact, I'll, in the show notes, I did a whole episode on it, but I, I wanted to be curious about what you think about that. But two, I'm just, I'm so glad you said that about um, 
right? Taking practice tests because it's not about, oh, let's see where you are and that's going to define you. It's about, hey, how can we learn from this so you can get better and grow? Um, but I want to just turn it back to you because you, uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, it could sound hypocritical critical since I started with high score. So I think it's easy for you to say. I mean, like I never faced that challenge, but in areas other than the LSAT, I, a lot, of, I'm not good at everything. There's lots of things I start where I'm just, you know, rock bottom. Um, <laughs> most, if, if you're only trying new things that you're going to be good at from the get go, then you're either not going to be learning new things or you're never going to learn anything new and challenging. You're just going to learn easy stuff. Um, to learn rewarding hard things requires being bad for a while while you get better at it and you know like i've learned languages like you're no good at the start <laughs> that blocks a lot of people in languages because they're they're crap <laughs> um, <laughs> and you have to just you know be a little embarrassed know nothing and talk and make mistakes and then you get better you learn as you go yeah and then the other thing too is like couple other things one just like a practical planning thing people often ask me like how long should i study for the lsat to answer that question that's like the one thing where you do need that starting score because if your goal is like a 175 and then you start at like a 130 you're gonna have to plan on like a longer period and if your goal is like a 162 and you start at a 152 then like you're it should be pretty achievable so like if someone's asking about the lsat in advance and they're planning when should I start studying, I do tell them to take a practice test for that reason. Um, but other than that, I agree. Like the score itself is not the key point. The key point is like, what can you learn as you go from the experience, from reviewing it and so on. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, yeah, and it's like, it just kind of helps you. It informs your journey, right? Like you said, if I'm, if I get a, a 152 and I want to get to a 162, well then, okay, then that's going to inform my journey. But if I don't know my starting point, because I haven't taken a PT even, and I can't even use that to see my weakness and weaknesses and strengths and yeah. how do I, you know, you know, plan this out. But uh, I want to make sure we, yeah. we, we catch the, the other, mis uh, I'm glad we stopped and talk about oh, this, sure. but I know you had a few other lists of common mistakes you've seen. I want to make sure we yeah. hear them. It this one's shorter, only reviewing stuff they got wrong. Um, I think people should at minimum like circle or flag questions before they check the answers, take a note of those and then review everything they flagged. They should potentially be reviewing some stuff that they didn't flag too. But like when you only review the wrong stuff, like I hear a lot of people say, I'm down between two answers and I always choose the wrong one. I'm like, do you really? Like, did you measure this? Did you actually track <laughs> all the ones you're down to two and then see how many you got wrong? And like, zero percent of people that have told me that ever had actually done it they only looked at the ones that, that they were reviewing the ones they got wrong yeah they only see the ones that stick out to them because they got them wrong but how many were you between two that you actually got right so and that is exactly, important yeah um yeah so if they're 50 50 it's really like you should be reviewing every 50 50 question because it was just the one wrong one right they're actually more similar than you think because you were stuck that's a great point now, i want to go back a little bit you make it you know um the 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 one area where I've seen some what can be problematic for students is um, you talked about reviewing ones you got wrong versus reviewing ones that you more you know maybe you were between on or whatnot. Um, one of the benefits of reviewing wrong is hey you know you're getting a benefit out of this it's fine right but you're missing out on some other ones. Um, the 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 problem I've seen students run into and I've been guilty of this too is. 
I might over-review where this is a long time ago when I was studying, you know, and I'm like, shoot, you know what? I'm the, I'm like, and this is where I worry a little bit about students. Like I'm 99% certain, but I'm not a hundred percent. So let me review this question. And so what I've had to say to students sometimes is listen, I, cool. Right. Like I know you're not a hundred percent certain. Um, but if you're 99, if you had to put a number on it, that's reasonable. Like you don't want to, I've seen students like spend weeks on blind review, driving themselves nuts or a whole week on blind reviewing one PT because they're like the tiniest bit uncertain. And I respect the work ethic, but then they drive themselves nuts and they get exhausted and they don't want to do it anymore. And so what I've done is some, I know you can tell me if you agree with me this on this or if I'm way off, but what I've said to students sometimes is right. Like, cool. You don't have to limit it to the ones you got wrong by any means, but be careful, be disciplined about the ones you choose to review. So you're not redoing the entire test almost compulsively. And maybe, you know, maybe a good barometer is if I am 50, 50 on it, whether I chose it the right one or not, or if I'm reasonably uncertain about it. Um, because I've seen people like who are scoring quite well, decide they're going to review every question and then painstakingly get tired of it. And it's like, I just can't do this anymore. Now I could be way off and you could tell me to shut up or if you disagree, no, please I, do I think, tell me. I think I, I, I think I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think if someone was reviewing every question, it might be more valuable if it was like with a study partner to talk about the nuances or if they were writing something down. And I wouldn't do that for every section. Because uh, like, you know, at a certain point too, if you're like 99% certain, you don't, it, but if you're still getting like a lot wrong on the LSAT, sometimes that last little percentage is actually harder to get than the basic stuff. And you need to get outer layers of skills before you can see the next skill. Um, so like, it's like certain bits of knowledge only come when you've got other knowledge and you should focus on the big gaping gaps. And as you level up your knowledge there, then you're going to be more likely to find the thing that makes you hundred percent certain on the other questions, like a lateral approach. That's such a great point. It's, it's funny because like when people come to study the else, a lot of times they're, um, well, you know, they, they could, they have, they're driven people. They might even be overachievers. And then all of a sudden they see this test and they're so used to, well, I do chapter one in my course on whatever in school, then I do chapter two, then I do chapter three. And it's this very like linear process. What I've had to say to some of them is sometimes it's just like, Hey, if you're learning a certain concept and you've put an honest effort into it and reasonable effort into it. Um, but it's just, you've only got, I don't know, maybe a seven out of 10 in terms of proficiency, that doesn't mean you're quitting, but sometimes you do need to leave and move on to the next concept. And then later on, just having done a few different concepts, all of a sudden, holistically, it'll kind of come together across the board. You'll have to kind of move, cut bait, move forward, learn other things. Then all of a sudden, something will click later on. It's not this linear process of mastering chapter one, then mastering chapter two. I mean, it'd be nice if it was, but it not always is. And it's kind of what you described, Graham, where you have to like leave, come back, and then all of a sudden you'll see it later because you've had time. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Like when you're just starting, like, you don't necessarily, like, I had the same experience with law as, like, it's sort of like a whole, and as you learn some in one class, it'll help with another, and you don't necessarily have the skills at the start to fully understand the thing you're looking at. You have to just keep approaching it indirectly from around, and then it builds up. I'm so glad you said that, and in part because of the, the psychological benefit. I mean, I think a lot of students, because they don't mentally prepare themselves for that, they're thinking, oh, I'm butting my head up against the wall and I'm only getting 60% of this or 70% on a scale of one to 10, I'm getting seven out of 10. And what I, you know, if they listen to what you're saying, then they'll be like, oh, wait a minute, that's, that's reasonable. That's 
practically the best anyone can do right now. It's totally natural. Let me leave. I'll come back. When I come back later, things will make more sense. Um, so I'm really glad you emphasized that. And I can maybe leave the students with like some other practical thing that might help them decide where to review certain ones that don't fall into like that 50-50, but if they are like trying to think, where do I review and where do I not review? I like to say if you've got like like a lead on something, like say you're on a flawed reasoning question where there's like abstract answers that often appear on other flawed reasoning questions. And you could have an answer that like you don't know what it means and it seems like one of the ones that repeats. That's to me seems like a candidate for review. It's like, okay, let me figure out what this answer is, hmm. um, even though you understand the question well. Or if you're like, uh, say you did like a strengthen question and you're like, this answer I don't think is right. It's got the word some, like how does that play into why this wasn't about this? I feel not so confident. Like the more there's like a specific that you can almost like note, like, and this is difficult to do in time conditions. Like you would maybe need like scrap paper where you like, you know, have some symbol where you would like, uh, yeah. easier on a paper test where you could actually just point to an answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if there's something specific to figure out, that's like, and especially something that seems repeatable, that's like higher value to you versus just like getting certainty. You can't necessarily, until you're in like the mid 170s, you can't necessarily get to certainty, but that doesn't matter as long as you have things you can learn and improve at. There's so many layers, especially in logical reasoning, that it's very hard to get to 100%, but you also don't need to. That's a great point. And if I'm hearing you right, like uh, one thing I kept thinking of when you were saying, hey, if there's something specific about this, um, for me, I don't know, like if, if there's a pattern to it. What I mean by that is, right, like, okay, this isn't just a question I'm struggling with, but I've kind of noticed this pattern in other questions. Yeah. And so it's probably worth me revisiting because it'll have that benefit across the board. Is that, am I on track? 100%. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Like the definitely more fruitful once you start to see like, Hey, I think there's a pattern here. Yeah. That's like, you definitely, that's your indicator. Awesome. Um, were there other, uh, common mistakes you wanted to address? Uh, one quick one is like yeah. saving all the new tests towards the end. I think you should save some towards the end, but like if you, the, the new tests get harder, else has students got better at the test. So they made the test harder in yeah. response. I'm pretty sure this is what happened. And uh, if you save all those towards the end, what's going to happen is you're going to like just have a score drop at the end and not have experienced the new trends. So you should take like some of the new tests, do them earlier. So you can also get the redo process on those. Um, just don't save everything till the end. And obviously don't use all the tests, save some for potential retake. No one plans on a retake, but it's very common. So don't use them all, but also don't save <clears throat> everything till the end. That's a great point. You know, um, yeah, if I heard you correctly, I mean, a common thing is, Someone will be like, oh, you know, I'll just save the ones from the 90s based on right, right now. We're recording this in November 2022, right? So the 90s are the new ones. We just came out with 93 a few a week or so ago, yeah. right? But I'll save the 80s and 90s till the end. But then it's like, oh, shoot, I've only got a week and a half before the exam. And I've got 20 tests and I haven't done any recent ones. So that's why I often tell people, I don't you might do the same thing is I'll say to them, Kind of a, a way of kind of having the best of the both both worlds is to stagger them, right? Maybe, yeah. you know, like maybe I'll do PT one PT in the fifties, then one in the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties, then turn right back around, or I'll do multiples of five, and then I'll, you know, um, but that staggering kind of gives you the best of both worlds, so you're not, you know, only exposed to the most recent tests in the week or two before the exam, and you haven't had time to uh, learn from that. But would you agree with like yeah, a general 100%. idea of sort of staggering yeah, yeah, yeah. in that sense? Yeah, yeah, I, that would be what I recommend. Yeah, awesome. stagger system. 
Awesome. So, I mean, you know, I was, my next part to you was also going to be what are effective things that they could do. But I think with the mistakes, you listed sort of solutions to them. Yeah. But were there <laughs> other things that are effective or do you feel like what you want to? What, one thing would be to make like a, like a wrong answer or wrong question or struggle question journal. Um, just like and be flexible on the topic. So, like, say there's like a conditional reasoning word or phrase that you didn't know how to draw. That's not really a question. But you'd want to write down that phrase and try and categorize it and like come back to that question and figure out how to understand it. Um, if you notice like a concept, like there's a lot of sub-question type concepts, like I don't know, absolute versus relative, like mm. you are someone is strong versus stronger. Um, mm -hmm. not the same thing. Um, that that's a common confusion point. So you could, if you no start noticing that, try and make a list of those questions and redo them almost like drilling a set of logic games types or drilling by question type. Drill once you got wrong, but also if you can categorize them into those areas, we do them that way too. But but at the very minimum, do like a wrong question journal and like come back to those. I find people don't come back. They come back a lot to logic games. They don't come back enough to logical reasoning. Also, I want to great point. I want to stay on that. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Let's back up for my for my the listeners might have been fine, but for me, they do it for what and not for which section did they do it for? They but do not it for, for logic games, but not enough for like uh, repeating logic games is a very common strategy. Sure, you don't do it. You should. Um, but uh, repeating logical reasoning and reading comp is something people don't do enough of. Okay, got it. And you know, it's funny. I want to flush this out because, I, to be honest with you. Like I, you, you probably heard me reference it. I always tell my students, "Hey, when you're done with a PT, you know, it's again, I'm not as concerned about that number as I am concerned about what did you learn." So I want you, and I give them sort of a spreadsheet to track their takeaways. Um, and I, what I like about that is it helps them catch capture a lot of the things you mentioned. Right, I can reference a specific question or a specific issue I was having, um, or even certain patterns. Cool, but then, then I, I've heard recently from students about wrong answer journals. I'll just tell you my initial impression, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm become, I've realized that I might've been mistaken, especially as I'm hearing you now. First, I was always a little bit worried, like, cause I've seen some students and I don't know if this is the intention, but I've seen some students try to write down something for every question that they did and then write down something for every answer choice, A, B, C, D, and E. And I'm just like, hey guys, I'm worried you're gonna drive yourself nuts. That's overkill. I mean, if you know it, cool. But I would only write something down if there's something significant that struck you. And I'm wondering yeah, if that's about the latter. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm thinking that's more what you mean. Because I'm like, what I always was wary of was like, I don't want y'all doing busy work. And where you'll get some benefit, but you're just going to drive yourself nuts. But if it's more the latter, which I've come to realize is what a lot of people mean, then I'm 100% on board. If there is something that struck you about it, um, you're like, hey, there is a pattern to this, or there's something that yeah. I want to I want to journal it somehow. Is that is that kind of what you mean? And, and yeah, Brittany, you could even call it like a pattern journal. You know? Nice, like a pattern and hard question journal. Not not a general thing, but like yeah, something that struck you. Like as an example, I saw someone post on the else I read it the other day. Like, how do I do this sentence? And it was a sentence with accept as a conditional indicator, which in the circumstances mm -hmm. basically worked the same as unless. But and they I think they knew how to do unless, but they hadn't realized how to do accept. So what they should do is like write that down as like a conditional thing they had trouble with because if you figure it out in a moment, but you don't see it again for like five prep tests, doing it once is not going to be enough to get the solid solidify. And because it's so rare, you may not get any other examples. So you just need to come back to the one you had because it is going to come up. It's yeah. just 
you can't there's no pre-made drill for you so you got to make the drill that's such a great point Ruby. You, you say it very well like there'll be this sort of theme or pattern that you'll see right and then you're absolutely right. oh i'll notice it then but if i don't do something to like journal it to reinforce it then i may not notice it for a while but it will happen and then i won't be prepared but if i'm if i journal it and i could refer back to it then i'm then i've reinforced my understanding of it or at least gotten my head wrapped around it whereas if you don't do that then it just kind of forget about it along with so yeah. many other there's so much gold i would i want to say like and when you've done something and you're like oh so much to learn from but if you don't capture those things which it seems like is what, yeah. what your goal is then you lose out exactly. on the benefit of learning from it it's a great point are there any yeah um it sounds like you explained it pretty practically are there any don't don't sweat it if you don't have anything are there any like practical i mean you, you sound like you have a great practical example are there any like I don't know examples online that you could point to or anything, and if not, no worries. I think uh, I think what you said is yeah. Fine. To be honest, no. I'm like I'm pretty agnostic on the format. <laughs> I think it's sort of with these things. It kind of depends on like the person's brain. Like someone might prefer Excel, someone might prefer like a physical notebook, someone might prefer like a Google Doc. Um, but the point is like just the process of focusing on what did I find hard or where do I see a pattern and listing it somehow, and <clears throat> just coming back to that. Nice, nice. I guess that's what I was going for, like the the um the essence of what you're looking for rather than this exact yeah. format or whatever. That's perfect. That's excellent. And that that, yeah. that also helps me understand. And hopefully my listeners as well. So thank you. Um hey, I wanna um another common thing that we get, one of the most common things I've heard people people ask me and just across the board is hey, I need a study plan. Um and I get why. Right. Like you, it's very smart, right? You don't want to just go throw spaghetti at walls, right? You want, you want a strategy. Um, but I want to just check in with you. Obviously we don't have a specific student in front of us, but uh, cause I imagine you would design it for a specific student, but what guidelines would you recommend a student use in designing a study plan? And just a hint, uh, I understand you have a, a study plan or a study guide that you, you're going to share with us today. Yeah. So I was never a planner myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, I think it's important to put a study plan in context that it's not like you reference college stuff, like with college stuff, you can make a study plan in the sense of like, I need to read these chapters at this time and these in this time. And you, you actually can plan out all the work. Um, you cannot plan out all the LSAT. You're going to have to take feedback from what you're doing. So it's important in a study plan to kind of have the feedback process in there um, and then be a little flexible in how things go based on how the studies go. Um, but I think like a good plan is to have like a, once a week do a prep test. It could be once every two weeks if it's a longer study plan, but about once a week in my experience tends to be sweet spot. Yeah. Um, I would and I'm, I'd be more inclined to say not more than once a week, like less could be fine. More than usually it's like too much prep test, not enough review. Um, the second thing is space for drilling. Um, which includes both like, you know, your standard question type drills, game drills, and also some of that wrong answer pattern stuff. Um, and then the third thing is working in like, uh, figuring out how to stagger the subjects, like either by following the lessons in the course or just going by certain concepts and drill lists while not completely ignoring the other section where you're focusing on something. Cause I think like you should still have like a bit of exposure, even if you're um, focusing elsewhere. That's kind of like the, the bare bones. And then you, you also obviously have to take into account how far you need to go for your score and how much time and energy you have. Because it's going to be different for someone who's like 
just taking the summer off, got nothing else to do versus working a full-time job or someone who has finals in the middle of like a study plan or midterms or whatever. Um, oh, and lastly, you should have like a bit of breaks, maybe like once every week or two a day off. And then if it's a long period, like a couple weeks somewhere in there. Wow, this is the kind of stuff I would say to a student myself. I'm, it's, I don't want, I, you know, I, I want to, uh, it's funny because, I, you know, I, I, I welcome, right, like disagreement because we always learn. Maybe there's something I'm not doing, but it is nice. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm on the right track if Graham agrees with me. But yeah, I, even yeah, some key Jim, points. Jimmy and I have not talked before this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I arrived at <laughs> promise you, we did not. I, I just <laughs> happen to agree completely. Even when you're saying one a week, right, and giving yourself time, I worry a little bit when someone's doing two a week because i don't want you to go pts excuse me you know uh, but doing one pt a week as opposed to trying to rush and get two in i always say to students I mean, look if, if, if you can get two in fine but i'd rather you do one well learn from it right maybe find the areas you're having trouble and maybe see if you can address some of those before you move on to the next pt because i don't want you moving on you know to another pt and repeating the same mistake sometimes it takes time to internalize what you're learning but Right. If you could address some of that, learn from it, review it, do some drills to reinforce what you're learning. Cool. And frankly, give yourself a break. But I feel like one a week is a good sweet spot um, where it gets you in a routine, but you're not compromising your ability to learn before you move on to another one. But everything you said was excellent. Um, even just the importance of breaks. I think, you know, again, people come to this. They're very driven culturally, which is a good thing. But they underestimate the need, especially with the intensity of this exam, to give yourself time to recover. Um, and just and the other thing I just want to say, right, I'm really glad that you emphasized that um, it is not, you know, you, you have to, you can't just kind of follow this thing in such a strict way. You need the ability to stop, see what's going on. That's another reason why there's a great benefit to PTs. Like, oh, I'm improving in this area. Maybe now I can change my focus a little bit. But you need to be able to stop and assess where you are. It may not be where you thought you would be. And then revise as you go. And I guess the other thing I'll bring up, I've heard this analogy with, I'm not sure if it was an airplane or or a space shuttle or rocket ships or whatever. But like when someone is sending an airplane or maybe maybe a rocket ship, I'm going to probably butcher the metaphor, right? They'll have a trajectory of where they expect it to go, but they're constantly monitoring it because there's so many other factors. And so, hey, you know, at some point they realize, okay, wait, we're veering a little bit more this way. Let's bring it back on the path we meant to. And so they're always monitoring it to make sure that they're doing things in the right way because there's so many other factors. And I, going back, right, I bring up that metaphor because it's a similar thing. Like I could have a whole game plan, but if all of a sudden, oh, I didn't realize I had a problem with that question type or that section, or oh, I'm doing better than I thought here, let me move on to something else. If I don't change as I see um, changes in my performance, then I'm not studying effectively. So sorry for the long statement. Yeah. It's more in uh, agreement with a lot of the points. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. And I think like, I think the LSAT is a bit of a shock after college. Cause like in college, I, you know, I did my fair share of cramming, you know, <laughs> you just read a whole bunch before the final, you got all the stuff in your head and you go regurgitate it on your damn page and that's it. Um, but the LSAT is not like that whatsoever. It's more like learning an athletic skill or a musical instrument or a language. That's a great point. 
Yeah. That's such a great point. I often use analogies with that. I mean, like, because it, it, it's on the one hand, it's not just this, right? And some, some you can cram and in, in school and maybe have something in your head and go take the final exam and just sort of dump it out into answering the questions. Whereas here, I mean, right, like it's, you're not, it's certainly not rote memorization. There is an element of memorization to some things, but you're learning a process and then you're applying that process to different circumstances that are put in front of you. And so, yeah, it very much is like learning uh, a sport or learning an instrument. Um, we, you know, you, on the one hand, you have to get very comfortable and almost create a muscle memory. But on the other hand, right, I'm using that muscle memory because I don't know what I'm going to have to respond to. I have certain patterns that I can train, but I have to be able to respond as needed based on what they present to me. Um, but yeah, I love the analogy of it's kind of like a sport or, or, uh, or an instrument. Um, great yeah. point. Oh, I'm sorry. Totally. And I agree with that muscle memory thing too. That like that, that is how your that is the way you get to higher scores is by actually getting the knowledge into just your automatic thinking habits so that you can deploy it when the situation without thinking a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I just want to stand this, you know, even it's almost like, you know, driving, right? anyone who's learned to drive when you're first learning to drive, it's like, okay, wait, what? I'm supposed to use one foot for both pedals? Like on the alternate, yeah. <laughs> even though like all this stuff, it seems foreign and then you get used to it and it might even seem like a lot, but then every time you go out on the road, it's not like, you know, exactly what's going to happen. You've got that muscle memory. So if all of a sudden someone swerves into your lane or whatever, right, or someone's coming this way or you have to make a signal, you know when you could respond, but it's not all this pre-programmed, oh, I'm going to do this like a rote memorization test. So you have that muscle memory so you can adapt to the different circumstances. And I think that I, going you know, get crazy with my metaphors, maybe it's my LSAT brain, but uh, you might appreciate this more than most, Graham, but like, but I think it's a good way to think about this. You know, it, you want to internalize it. So then you have this skill that you could use as the circumstances change in front of you. Uh, is that fair? No, totally. I completely agree. So, so when you're making a study plan, then what you want to do is give yourself space to practice those skills and space to see, like you have a rough idea of the things you should be doing in the time, but the ability to adapt when you see you need more or less practice and one thing, just like if you were doing driver's ed, you know, I was never any good at parallel parking. So I did extra <laughs> practice on that um, versus other stuff like came pretty naturally and you don't have to spend as much time on it. Uh, so yeah. So in, in the study plan that, that I have for, your listeners, it's, um, it's something that's normally part of LSATX Pro, but they can get it here. And it, it does do that. So it's got like basically, you know, space for a test a week. Um, it's got uh, a list of drills that they can do and following by subjects. If they're in LSATX Pro, they can download a version that uh, lets them add in like the course lessons to the schedule. If not, it just like has it by topic. Um, but it's meant to be something where you sort of like can shift it around. Like if you've already intensely worked on game, I think games is the first thing it has, but if you've just been intensely working on that, you could just switch to one of the other sections. And it also has something each day where, um, there's something called like a, basically a LG breakfast game. It's just like a little warm up. So if you're not working on logic games, you're just doing like some game from the list to like, keep your mind, like in it and keep practicing that skill and a list of economist articles, which we could talk about that, but I found it like the most uh, LSAT-like reading material there is. Mm. So it's just like something if you're not actually working on reading comp to still be reading some similar material that you can do just in your downtime as part of the schedule um, so that you're always seeing something from the sections. Wow. And uh, yeah, 
so they can they can download that if they go to uh, lsathacks.com slash jdlsat. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, lsathacks.com slash jdlsat. See, I feel so special because you've got that special URL just for, <laughs> for me and, and our <laughs> listeners. Um, and I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. Uh, lsathacks.com slash jdlsat. That's right. Slash jdlsat, yeah. Awesome. Very generous of you. Thank you so much for doing that. Everyone, please take advantage because uh, Graham is just – superlative resources um so anything else about how they could take advantage of that or 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 you feel like uh they should just jump in and, and crack it open of a study plan uh let me think pretty much just jump in and crack it open like you could um you could try it out with lsat hacks pro there's a satisfaction guarantee for the first 10 days so like you could you could try the version with the lessons and give that a shot um, it could be a good way to get started with the resource and like follow it like sort of on rails. Um, but but no, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's got instructions in it. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Just go go check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that for us. Thank you for listening. One tip to use your time with this podcast effectively. Take a look at the list of previous episodes. They're named by topic. So you can prioritize your listening based on specific areas where you need help the most. Again, I'm your host, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. Please do subscribe, share these episodes with friends. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, feel free to reach out to me and check out my website. Again, it's JDLSAT.com. That's JDLSAT.com.